At this point, we usually um, start off with prayer, and we usually pray for another church in our community or another church in our uh, area. And um, I don't have any one particular church in mind for us to pray this morning, but I do want us to pray for a spirit and an attitude of teamwork in this body. And I want to pray that God would send more teammates to this county and this area. That's, that's on my heart this morning, and I'm hoping that we would pray uh, in that direction, that God would send more teammates. And um, before we pray, too, if you could move in to the middle, that would help us. We've got some people that are looking for seats and some more people inevitably that will be here. So if you can, just scoot to the middle. That would help us. And leave some space on the outside so people can get a seat in a minute. So if you would, would you pray with me this morning that not only would Cross Point Fellowship have that spirit of consistently searching and looking around us for a teammate in the gospel. And other churches, more churches that would hold up the gospel. That we would have teammates not in putting on display anything else, but we would put on display the gospel. That we wouldn't put buildings on display that we would have a teammate that would join with us in not putting programs on display or clever preaching on display, that the gospel would be put on display. And that God would send and raise up and start more churches in our area that would put the gospel on display and that we would be held accountable to that as well. Father, um, we need you. We've learned that. If we haven't learned anything else, especially over the last few Sundays, that we need you, your wisdom. We are a people that are dependent upon and clinging to your gospel. It's my prayer this morning that the gospel will be communicated clearly and be put on display. And that you, we would continually be people, be your sheep that walk amongst the world and in the world each week when we leave here, that we would put your gospel on display and that we'd be a people who stand only on Christ. I pray that for this church and God this morning, we pray that you would send. We know you're ascending, God. We pray that you would send more. Not church buildings and not more programs, but send more teammates to this county, to this area, for the sake of the gospel. And we pray that we would always stand ready to be a teammate for the gospel with other bodies of believers. And it's to that end that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are in the book of James chapter 1. If you would open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Over the past three Sundays, this being the fourth Sunday in this series, we've been in James chapter 1, and I want to quickly just recap where we've been because it points us directly to where we're going and it helps to give us perspective on this passage that we're going to look at today. We know that James is written to God's people. This is not a book or a letter 
that teaches the world or teaches anyone how to attain salvation or retain salvation. This, James, the purpose of this book and this letter is not to teach people. This is how you get saved and this is how you stay saved. This is written to God's converted people, to his sheep. And this book points us to what sheep look like, smell like, how they move. So this is not a rule book on how to get salvation. It is a wool book. This is what God's people look like. And so we've learned that we know that God, His ways and His Spirit and how they move many times is absurd. And that God's people like Elijah are aware of what He says and we pay attention to it. We know with a renewed mind, Romans 12 says, we know how to consider trial and trouble joy. That's crazy, but that's how, what his sheep know. They know how to encounter a trial and encounter trouble and consider it joy. We know that we don't have wisdom and we are always in need of it. Hebrews 5, we don't stop listening. We never become dull of hearing. We always stay, God, you have wisdom. We need it. Teach us again. We need it more and we need it more. And we know that when we go to him, constantly in need that when we ask him and approach him he receives us he receives his sheep like a good dad like a good father not with reproach to say you need me and I'm going to hold it over your head he says come you need wisdom come to me come to me and I will always give you what you need Hebrews 6 he is a good father and he rewards those who seek him and that reward is not give you things that you really 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 want it's I will always give you exactly what you need and so as his sheep we go to him and because we know he's good and because we believe that he's a good father who rewards those who seek him we believe him and we trust him we believe that he exists that he's a good father and we trust that what he is giving us what he has given us is exactly what we need we trust him and we believe him. So we understand a little bit more about what our wool looks like. We understand a little bit more about how God operates in our trials. And we know that our trials and trouble, and by the way, we, we, we settled this from the get-go. Any kind of trouble is what James is talking about in chapter 1. Affliction for your faith, persecution, sure. Any kind of trouble, though. Whether or not it's directed at your faith or not. This world, Jesus said, you will have trouble and I will be your peace. James says, any kind of trouble, what does it do? How do you consider it joy? Because we know that any kind of trial and trouble that we encounter produces staying power. The word steadfast, James uses. It produces a steadfastness in us. It produces a sheep that will endure and will finish, receive the crown of life. That's what it's producing in us, a staying power. That's why we can consider trials joy. So, here we come to verse 9, and we encounter an odd trial. I hope this morning that as we look at this passage, verse 9 through 11, that in the midst of this theme of trial and temptation in chapter 1, that as we consider the rich man, and as we consider the poor man, the rich man and the lowly brother, that we remember that God's talking to his people. He's talking about the rich believer and the lowly believer. 
And I'm hoping that we can answer these few questions. How do his rich sheep treat his poor sheep? How do his poor sheep treat the rich sheep? And which is the more difficult trial? Being the poor guy or being the rich guy? Which is more difficult? Let's read James chapter 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits verse 9 again let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation the first point this morning is this the rich and the poor are both boasting. Do you see it? Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. The rich boast. The poor boast. Okay? We need to get that. And I need, we need to explain who is the lowly brother. So let's do that first. Who is the poor man? Let's describe him. Let's figure out who he is. Because I have a feeling some of us are sitting here and we're thinking, oh, I know who I am. <laughs> I'm the poor guy. I know some rich people. I know what rich means in America, and I'm not rich. I'm the poor guy. Maybe so. Who is the lowly brother? It's the, it's the believer who is humble in circumstance, low in position, little in influence, little in opportunity, or even oppressed or disadvantaged in any way. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's been you in the past, or maybe that will be you in the future. So we must consider both of these people because we might be that person. We might be the poor today. We might be the rich today, depending on the circumstance. This applies to God's people. Who is the lowly brother? I want to picture it like this. The, the lowly brother is, is boasting. He's rejoicing. Why is he boasting and rejoicing? When that word, you see that word boast in this passage, uh, other places in scripture it's used the same term, same Greek word is used for to rejoice or to glory in something. And you see that in songs a lot. We glory in him. We glory in something. And what that means, real simple, to be really happy and really glad about something. And this poor man, this lowly brother, this disadvantaged, humble circumstance, little influence, this poor guy, he is very happy and very glad about something. And he is very glad in his exaltation. And I want to paint a picture for us to see this this morning. If I'm the lowly brother, I'm low circumstance. We're going to pretend like this podium is the cross. It's not a cross, but you'll just have to use your imagination, okay? And so this lowly brother finds himself in a low circumstance. Here is the cross, and I have to come up to. The cross brings me up. This is the reality of my circumstance, whether it's financial or opportunity or little influence. I find myself low, the lowly brother, the poor, in whatever circumstance I find myself in. And yet here's the cross. And when I cling to the cross, it brings me up. Do you see it? 
My low circumstance doesn't matter because I know that eternally the cross brings me up. So I'm exalted by what? The cross. My circumstance doesn't matter. Christ says, you will be exalted through your humility. So my humble circumstance, when it comes to the cross, I cling tightly. You see this fist, my hand here? It's clinging tightly to the cross. And when I do that, I'm exalted by it. Do you see that? My circumstances doesn't matter. That's how the lowly brother is exalted. So how does the poor man rejoice? That's not easy because we're still living in these circumstances. Our sight still has our circumstances. And we cling to the cross in faith, not seeing. You with me? Our circumstances are what we see. And if we feel low, if we feel like we're the lowly brother, in any circumstance, if we are that lowly brother, what we see is low position, disadvantage, living check to check, whatever that means for you in whatever circumstance. And so we cling to the cross and it says that we're elevated. So how do we rejoice in that? Well, we rejoice because by the cross, we are ultimately will be exalted. But we are brought to the level of the cross away from our circumstance. Turn to Psalm chapter 49. Psalm 49. The psalmist paints a beautiful picture here of how does a poor man rejoice? How does somebody who has a life of disadvantage compared to somebody else, or how does somebody who finds himself in humble circumstances, times are hard, things are hard, not just financially, things have never gone well, they're not going well over the past two or three months, whatever that means for you. If you consider yourself that lowly brother, how do you exalt? How do you rejoice? How are you glad about the cross? We're going to read down through this, this whole chapter, chapter 49. And I'm going to stop and give you some paraphrases and explain what the psalmist is saying here. Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. Here's what he's saying. The psalmist wants the rich and poor to hear this. Whether you consider yourself the lowly brother or you consider yourself the rich brother. Listen to this truth. This truth is for the rich and the poor. Whether you consider yourself rich or low, this is for you. My mouth, verse 3, shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. The psalmist wants wisdom. He wants a knowledge and an understanding of the cross, of what God has done, who he is, and he wants a knowledge and an understanding of what his real position is. Do you see it? He wants understanding. He wants knowledge. He finds himself in the low position, and he wants knowledge of reality, of truth, of what does this cross do for me? What does this cross do to me? Keep going. Verse 4, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble? 
when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me and those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Verse 5, he says, fear. Do you see that? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Let me just say this. There seems to be this feeling, and I don't know if you've ever gotten it, but I hear it from people. I've felt it myself. When we encounter somebody who has wealth or maybe has just more than you, there is this feeling like they're more secure. There's this idea that because they have more possessions, wealth, retirement, whatever, that they're more secure. And there's this intimidation that sometimes we feel when we consider ourselves the lowly brother. There's this, this feeling, like the psalmist says, a fear of rich people. Fearing the guy who looks more stable. And the psalmist says, why should I fear when those who trust in their wealth and boast in their abundance, anytime you hear somebody boast about all that they have, all of their security, when you hear people boast of being financially secure, I don't know what that does to you, but that makes me kind of just get anxious. Am I secure? Do I have enough? Am I saving enough? Am I making enough? Have I bought enough? Is my car nice enough? That's what he's talking about here. Why should I fear when someone else boasts of their security? Boasts of their abundance. Why should I fear? And the psalmist says, this is a fake security. Seeing that others might be more secure than me causes anxiety for those that without, that are without. Okay, just recognize that. But verse 7, here's what the psalmist says. But here's reality. Why do I fear when I see somebody else with this false security? Here's reality. Truly, he says, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Verse 7 through 9 is saying this all the money in the world, all the possessions, all the retirement accounts, all the savings accounts, everything, all the money and possessions in this world will not rescue any man from hell. That's the truth. All this security that the lowly man sees in the rich man, all this anxiety that it produces in the, man, in the lowly brother to see somebody more secure on this earth, all of that that he has does nothing for him. Nothing. He, he's placing a confidence in something that's a lie. The rug will be pulled out. We're going to see that in a minute. The rug will be pulled out from the rich man that places confidence in his stuff. So I know as a lowly brother, this is starting to help me a little bit. It should. Because I know truth. The reality is, he's not secure. So anxiety comes down. Fear comes down. Intimidation of somebody who has more stuff than me. Another, we're talking about another brother here. The rich brother... The lowly brother, when another brother comes and they have more and they look more secure, I don't have any anxiety about it because I know that's not really security. Verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish. The rich and the poor have the same destiny. Do you see it? 
The wise and the stupid both die. The rich and the lowly both die. They face the same destiny. Verse 11, their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they call lands by their own names. What he's saying here is the rich, those who have opportunity, those who have followed the pursuits of their opportunity, listen to that, those who who chase after opportunity that they've been given, those who pursue it, they were lured into feeling secure because their name was made great through acquisition. The rich man has acquired much and he was lured into believing that that was security. And the lowly man sees it and he's not anxious because he knows that's not security. Verse 12, I love the word he uses here. Man in his pomp. Boy, that's a good word. Circle that word. Man in his pomp. What is pomp? Pomp is security in yourself and your stuff. Pomp is this. Pomp is arrogance. You can write that in. Man in his arrogance will not remain. Man in his pomp. Man who places confidence in what he has will not remain. This is what the poor man sees and this is what the poor man knows. This is why the poor man can rejoice in being exalted by the cross. Because he has a good, real, true view of stuff. And he has a good, real, true view of the rich man. Do you see that? You see why this is, this is soothing to the lowly man? Because he has an accurate view of pomp. And he looks at the rich man who places confidence in his stuff and he says, that's arrogance. And it's not going to last. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. Verse 13. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. What is foolish confidence? Pomp. That's foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. This is, I love this part right here. This is, verse 13 again, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. There's a semicolon. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Here is another thing that makes the lowly brother anxious and fearful. Because people are applauding this guy, this rich guy. Oh man, you're a hard worker, you're making lots of money. You're you're really acquiring so much land. Your name is on a bunch of stuff. And you're a hard worker. Good job. That a boy. There's a pat on the back. People are approving and saying, basically, yeah, you're a good dude. You're a hard-working brother. You have a lot to be proud of. You've made for yourself a real secure place. And when the lowly brother hears people applauding that and boasting and approving, verse 13, approving of this guy, there comes this anxiety and this fear and this intimidation from the lowly guy to look at the rich guy and be intimidated and to be stalled out. Verse 14, like sheep, they are appointed for shale. Death shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. It's the ultimate destiny for anybody who places confidence in what they required. Verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shale, for he will receive me. 
This is the relief for the lowly brother right here. It's verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of hell, for he will receive me. Here's the switch. The lowly brother knows. He has an accurate view of false pomp, of pomp, arrogant, false security. And when he sees it, he places his trust in God being the only one that can rescue him, and he grips tightly to the cross in Christ alone. And that is relief for the poor man. Do you see that? That's where the relief comes. That's why the lowly brother rejoices in exaltation. Verse 16, here it is again. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, but when the glory of his house and when the glory of his house increases. Don't be intimidated by those that acquire much influence, much money, and many possessions, and much power. If you are the lowly sheep, do not be intimidated. Do not be anxious about somebody who God has allowed or for whatever reason, they have much influence and much wealth and much power. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be anxious. Don't start scrambling to acquire what they've acquired. Do you see it? Don't be afraid. Don't let it make you anxious. Why? Keep reading. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Remember, there's the, there's the reminder again. All of that stuff is not security. Apart from Christ, his stuff's going to go to hell with him. Verse 18. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. That's a scary word, blessed. We'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but be careful about calling abundance blessing. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. This rich man is putting confidence in his stuff and he's saying, look, I'm blessed. God's blessing me. Be careful about calling abundance blessing. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself. Now this is the psalmist talking. This is the lowly brother talking to the rich man. Though you call yourself blessed in your rich position and though other people applaud you for getting there. His soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Verse 20 is key. Man in his pomp, man in his arrogance, yet without understanding, a man who has acquired this false security and pursued this great lie without an understanding, without true knowledge of Christ, without having his eyes opened to true knowledge of God, without the gospel, without the cross, is like a beast that perish in his pomp and without knowledge of salvation. I was on a fast track to hell. Fast track. Not, it's going to be hard for him to go to hell. It's going to be very easy for him to go to hell and be separated from Christ. Be separated from God and His plan and His desires and His purposes. Separated. The rich man. So the poor glory and rejoice and boast in the cross and how it elevates them from this low position they find themselves in and they don't have to be anxious and compare themselves to anybody else. Ever. Why? Psalm 49. 
It's false security. Don't, lowly brother, if that's you today, if that's you this week, whatever circumstance you find yourself in as a lowly brother, understand, you don't have to compare. You don't have to be anxious about somebody else looking more secure. Rejoice and boast in the cross. Here, the cross brings me here. You see it? So the lowly brother is exalted and he boasts in the cross alone. So who's rich here? Back to James 1. Who who is rich in verse 9? Who's he talking about? Listen. Just like you could be the lowly brother at any moment, you could consider yourself in any circumstance the one that's low, the one that's disadvantaged, the one with less opportunity, the one with less stuff, the one with less money. This rich guy could be you too. Anytime any of his sheep find themselves among any other brother who's a little lower, you have a little bit more money than somebody else, Well, you're the rich guy, and they're the low guy. Do you see it? Have you had more opportunity than a friend? Well, you're here. This is you, and this is the cross. Do you see it? So you could very easily find yourself in this position, just like this. that could be you, and you're not intimidated, and you don't compare yourself to this guy that you bump into in the church, and you're not anxious about this guy. Sometimes this is us. Sometimes this is you, depending on who you're walking with. And you're going to walk with different people. And sometimes you're going to be that guy, and sometimes you're going to be this guy. This is written, this book of James is written to God's converted people, rich and poor. And so when you're this guy, what do you boast in? What do you rejoice in? I'm saying that if I'm preaching this in America, and if we're looking at this and preaching this this morning in Texas... And if if we're preaching this in the Dallas area, I'm saying most of us are right here where I'm standing. Most of the time. I'll go out and just say, on a limb and say, I, I think most of the time, you and I, both of us, will find ourselves here instead of there. Sometimes you're there. And surely you walk with people who have more. And surely you walk with people who it's hard for you not to compare and be anxious about the fact that they look more secure. But there's a lot of times where this is us. We're standing here with the most opportunity. Think globally for a second. Think think the world. With the exception of Western Europe and maybe Japan, go anywhere else in in the world. With the exception of Western Europe and maybe Japan, Go anywhere else in the world and say you're not in this position. Then, then tell me this isn't you. We got two cars for the most part. We got houses. Bluebell ice cream. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is us. For the most part. Most of the time. So how does this guy, how does he rejoice? He rejoices Verse 10 says, he rejoices in his humiliation. In his humiliation. Why should the rich rejoice? Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Turn there. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. 
I, I want to just clarify something real quick. This is a difficult sermon to preach because it's very easy for us to think that we're always the lowly guy. And it's also difficult because it's very um, easy for us to read Scripture and assume that and very easy for us to beat up on people who have more than us because we see so much Scripture that warns the rich that it's very easy for us to find ourselves in a seat of judgment on people who have more and claim that the Bible is beating them up. And I just don't want to do that. I want, I want us to hear warning and I want us to hear what the Scripture says about the man who has most opportunity, the man who has more. But it is possible for this man to please God. Hear that. It's possible for this man to rejoice and to please God. And Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 shows us how this guy pleases God. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts in this, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. Watch it. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Here's what pleases the Lord. When this guy, who has much in this hand, he's got a lot. He's got more than that guy. This is what pleases God, is when he's got a firm grip on the cross, and he's clinging to Christ alone. Now watch this hand. Whatever. I, whatever. I could have more than all of y'all, but psh, see how this hand? See this hand right here? See my white knuckles? See this hand? Open-handed. Doesn't matter. I will boast in this, and I will humiliate this. This is just stuff. It's ridiculous. Why would I ever, ever boast or put any confidence in my stuff? This is what, it, this is what it's all about right here. This is... It's what I rejoice in. This is what I boast in. So I will boast and rejoice in this. All of my stuff is humiliated. It's going to be humiliated in the end, and this is how I rejoice as the rich man. I will not be humiliated with it. I will not go to hell with my stuff. I will humiliate it, and I will cling to the cross. That's what pleases God, and that's how the rich man boasts. He boasts in the cross and he humiliates his stuff. White knuckle to the cross, open handed with his stuff. Do you see it? That's how the rich man, the rich believer, pleases God. And it does more than that. When the rich rejoice and boast in this humiliation of their stuff, it's a weird twist, and it's assuming that we have, and this rich man has an accurate view on God, on his God in the cross. So, you got this lowly guy who's boasting because the cross brings him up. 
His circumstances don't matter. The rich man, he boasts in the cross because his don't either. And so what do you have? You got a rich guy and a poor guy rejoicing. If this doesn't matter and that doesn't matter and we're both clinging to the cross right here, then what are we? We're on the same level. And they boast together. Rich and poor. His rich sheep rejoice and boast and worship with poor sheep. Do you see it? They're together. Psalm 49, he said, Hear, O peoples, low and high, rich and poor, together. So the poor and the rich rejoice and boast and they worship together. That's his sheep. That's what wool looks like. That's what his church, that's what his sheep look like. You've got rich people boasting and rejoicing with poor people. You've got lowly brother. Now don't think poverty level when I say lowly brother. Remember, we're talking about any disadvantage that you might have over somebody else, any advantage that you have over somebody else, those two people rejoice together. Why? The cross. It's level. It's the great leveler. They're both boasting, his poor sheep and his rich sheep, boasting together, rejoicing together at the cross. The poor man has this loose grip on his circumstances. The rich man has a loose grip on his circumstances. White knuckled on the cross together. Look at James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, quickly. Chapter 2, James talks a little bit about rich and poor, and he expounds just a little bit more here. When you have a, a poor guy here clinging to the cross, and you have a rich guy right here clinging to the cross, They're on the same ground. There are no distinctions made about either one of them. God says, come. You come to me without reproach, I'll give you what you need. Rich man, come. Clinging to the cross, not your stuff. Poor man, you come to me. Clinging to me, not your circumstance. So there's no distinction. These two guys are the same, right? Both clinging to the cross. The only security that they have. There's no distinction being made. Look at James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him do you see it there's no distinction being made now you can make a distinction about somebody on any level color where you're from what part of the county you come from what you're wearing You can make distinctions, and and God's sheep don't make distinctions. His people, when they gather and when they walk together, don't make distinctions. Do you see it? And you definitely don't make distinctions between rich and poor because they both need the cross, and they both boast in it and rejoice in only the cross. So there's no distinctions made. 
It's part of our wool. The last point I want to make here is that this, this is key, I think, to understanding what James is trying to teach us. The rich have it pretty rough. The rich have it rough. And, and you may be sitting there thinking, man, you are crazy. Man, if I had just a little bit more money, then I'd be happy and glad. What is boasting? Being real happy and glad about something. If I just had a little, man, I see people that have more than me, and man, I don't, I don't see how they have it very rough. And we're going to see how they have it rough. Riches, wealth, and opportunity are tests and trials. Remember, James chapter 1 is about testing and trial. And right in the middle of being tested, we see a rich man and a poor man. Poverty, it's a test for sure. Poverty, poor, low position in any. Maybe you're without a job for a season. Maybe anything. Anything that you would consider as lowly or disadvantaged at the time. That's a test for sure. And you cling to the cross and it produces steadfastness. But listen. Riches and wealth and opportunity and being advantaged. Remember, this is us most of the time, I believe. That's a test. It's a trial. Think about what's at stake. The warnings for the rich are all over Scripture. We read Psalm 49. We just read this verse that talks about what happens to a man who pursues his stuff. And don't forget James chapter 1, verse 10. Then the rich in his humiliation, because why? Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of what? Pursuits. This is a dangerous, great, awful trial to have much, to have abundance, to have plenty. Because what's at stake? Our soul and his gospel and his glory. That's what's at stake. So what's the greater trial? Being a lowly brother or having plenty? And I'm saying that it's the more dangerous. Matthew 6, don't lay up treasure here. Jesus says. That's difficult. That's difficult to do what Jesus said in Matthew 6, to not lay up treasure here when you're this guy. That's that's the hardest thing in the world to do, is when you're this guy and you're surrounded by opportunity and you have stuff and you have opportunity for more stuff, it's hard to not lay up treasure. That makes it difficult. The guy who doesn't have has grown accustomed to clinging to the cross, maybe been disadvantaged, maybe a little easier for them to not lay up treasure here. This is difficult to not lay up treasure. Turn to Matthew 19. We're not going to read this whole passage. I just want to look quickly at the rich young ruler. This rich young man, he comes to Jesus with plenty of stuff, and he comes in this seat. He comes as the rich man with plenty. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do? 
He consider, he's, he's Jewish. He considers himself blessed. And he considers blessing to be God's favor. And so here he comes to Jesus thinking that he's got God's favor on his life because he has a lot of land and a lot of animals and a lot of money. Okay, Jesus, I got God's blessing and God's favor. What else are you talking about here? What do, what do you want me to do? What else do I have to do to make sure I get to heaven? And so here he comes in this seat to Jesus. Look at verse 20. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This right here, having great possessions, was a lie. And he believed it. And it was the trap that kept him from following. You, you think there's not a lot at stake here? And, and knowing how rich sheep are supposed to act, how poor sheep are supposed to act, how his people are supposed to treat each other, you think there's not a lot at stake here? Th this guy went away sorrowful. He couldn't follow Christ. Why? Had too much stuff. Clinging to it. Too tightly. Now, listen to what Jesus says. This is the, that's not even the half of it. Here's the scary part. It's what Jesus follows up with. Verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, turns to them and says this, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the more difficult trial? Well, what's at stake? The gospel, his glory, and your soul. I'm saying this is the more difficult trial. To have opportunity, to have plenty, to have abundance, and cling to the cross at the same time is more difficult. It's more, it's more difficult to come down than to come up because of pride. We're a prideful, double-minded people. And it's more difficult to come down than it is to come up from a low position. It's more difficult trial to have plenty. The rich have it rough because of what's at stake. 10 and 11, verse 10 and 11 of James chapter 1, tell us what happens. The rich who cling to their stuff are going to go to hell with it. It's a tough trial. It's dangerous. Having plenty is the test. Can we keep this perspective when we have plenty, when we have abundance, when we have opportunity, can we keep that perspective? I just want to follow this up and, and, and wrap this up with a couple of observations and kind of even more difficult questions here. So what do the poor sheep, when you're, when you're the lowly brother, what, what do you do with this? Because you're walking with somebody who has more. You're walking with several people who you find yourself maybe being jealous or maybe being envious or maybe being like David was, anxious because you're walking with people who have more and you're thinking, I've got to work harder, I've got to do more, I've got I to make more, I've got to do more, I've got to acquire more. And there's an anxiety there. What do the poor people do? What does the low, lowly brother, I hate, I've been using that, poor, but you, you know what I mean, lowly brother. 
What do you do when you're in the lowly brother position? Well, if you're clinging and boasting in the cross, you're not complaining about what you don't have. When you're here and you're boasting and exalting in a cross that brings you up on the same level as the rich guy, now you, you don't complain about what you don't have. When you're this guy who's brought up to the, by the cross, same level as the rich guy, man, you're not jealous of what they have. You're not envious. You're not holding a grudge to, towards them because they seem to have a higher position, whether that's influence or power or accolades or money. You're not jealous of them. Why? Because they're in a more dangerous position. They're in the more difficult trial. Jesus said it. It's more difficult for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's difficult. And I will boast in the cross. And because that's God's converted person, I'm going to pray for them not to fall to the snare of putting their confidence in their stuff. And we're not talking about people who are ridiculously loaded. I'm talking about a guy who has one more bicycle than you. He has ten more dollars in his bank account. Pray for him. He's in a more dangerous position than you. He's got a harder trial and a harder test. So his poor sheep, pray for his rich sheep. Not that they'll give them what they have, but that they won't fall to the temptation and the trial and that they'll finish and be steadfast and being open-handed with their stuff and that they would cling to the cross because I know as a lowly brother I'm clinging to the cross and my dependency is greater. Why? Because I have a low position. What else am I going to cling to? (laughs) I'm going to cling to this and when I see a brother that has more I'm going to pray for him that he won't cling to that more than Jesus. That's what I'll pray. There's no room for jealousy and covetousness anymore there's no room for for holding a grudge against them for having more i'm praying for them so i'll embrace the cross in christ alone and to the rich if you ever find yourself i know sometimes you'll be the lowly brother sometimes you'll be this guy for the most part i think most of us are this guy the rich guy what do we do when we find ourselves in that position walking with people who have a little less look be mindful of this don't brag about what you have Don't brag about what God's blessed you with. Do you remember what I said earlier? Be careful about calling blessing. Don't call abundance blessing because it might be a trial. It might be a test. So don't brag and call the things that seem to be from God's hand and probably are. Don't call that blessing. Don't brag about that. Embrace it as trial. Embrace it as a test. To say, will I cling to the cross with one more car? Will I cling to the cross with a bigger house? Will I cling to the cross with whatever? A higher paying job. Will I cling to the cross if I am blessed with more? Don't brag about it. Stop portraying a confidence in what you've acquired. Man, when we do that, when we portray some type of security or confidence or that we're at peace because God's blessed, That does a couple of things. It confuses the lowly brother. Do you see that? When when you're blessed with something, 
and, and God gives you a test and a trial of having more, and you portray that you feel at peace and at confidence in the fact that your savings account's big, and, and while there may be a hint of thankfulness to God in that, if you're portraying or putting on display that you have confidence in that at all, it really confuses the lowly brother. And like Psalm 49 says, you're causing the lowly brother anxiety and fear and wondering, well, do I need a, do I need a bigger savings account? Uh, do I need that kind of truck? Should I go get a higher paying job? Should I pick up a third job? But do you see how when you're in a place of abundance and you portray and put on display that you're putting confidence in it, you're confusing your lowly brother. And you're confusing him and, and actually causing him to wonder, is clinging to the cross really enough? So be careful. Be careful when you're in this seat. And it's dangerous because it might be a trial. You know, nothing until now, until I'm about to say it, has been said this morning about giving or tithing. This isn't a tithing and a giving message. But I just want to say this. The tithing and the giving admonition amongst these kind of sheep, against, uh, uh, amongst a, a poor sheep who pray for the rich, amongst a plentiful sheep and a blessed sheep who are careful about their lowly brother and open-handed with their stuff, you don't need the giving message. You don't need a message on tithing. That's who they are. You got plentiful sheep blessing poor sheep and not confusing them. You got poor sheep playing for the sheep to have plenty because they know what's at stake. Man, there's just junk flying all over where you know you need a coat, here's a coat. You need, you know, that you need some money, here's some money. You need a car, here's a car. That's just a byproduct. So we, we're not generous to attain our salvation. We're generous because it's who we are. Because when I have plenty, I'm open-handed. And when I'm lowly, I'm clinging to the cross. No need for a tithing message. And when we stop making distinctions about people based on the cars they drive, their annual salary, their giving record, when the lowly brother rejoices with the rich brother, when the rich brother rejoices with the lowly brother, when the rich brother is encouraged by the lowly when the rich brother encourages the lowly brother by holding loosely to his stuff, and when the poor brothers, what about this? What, what would happen if the poor brothers prayed earnestly for the rich? Not loaded, not crazy rich. I'm just talking about when the lowly brother prays earnestly for anybody who has more than him to humiliate all of their stuff daily. Why? For the sake of their brother's soul. When you find yourself in that position, what would that look like? What's that going to produce in a people? Well, I think the word sacrificial giving goes out the window because giving's giving. Now, we've used that term a lot about our giving to be generous and sacrificial, but I'm wondering if we should even put that term on it. What is a sacrifice when you're a lowly brother, you cling to the cross. When you're a plentiful brother, you're open-handed. Sacrifice becomes this. Sacrificial giving looks like this. Okay, I'm going to let that go and that go. Oh, that's a sacrifice. Okay, back. And so really, sacrificial giving becomes a term that maybe we use to make the plentiful brother feel good about giving something away. 
And, and that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to make you feel good. I'm not trying to make each other feel good about letting our stuff go. Because with this open hand, nothing's a sacrifice. Because none of it's yours. And you don't got confidence in any of it. So it's just giving. That's who we are. That's God's people. I think it would probably look like this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. Rich, poor, together. And had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness, with boasting, and rejoicing. They were taking their meals together and a sincerity of heart, praising God, boasting in the cross, Boasting in God and who he is and for his salvation. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47. I hope that's what he's producing in us. Pray with me. God, it is hard to know what to do with some of this and get our head wrapped around it. Uh, I pray that when I find myself, which is, I think, most of the time, as the brother who has plenty, that I would be mindful of those around me in the body, God's people around me who find themselves in a lowly position, I'd be mindful of them, and that I would never ever put on display that I'm putting confidence in my stuff and I pray for all of us when we find ourselves as a lowly brother that we wouldn't be discouraged or intimidated or fearful but that we would pray for those around us who have much and we cling to the cross and I pray that you'd produce that in us in Christ's name that we pray amen